Good morning, everyone. It's a uh, rainy, rainy day, huh? A bit hazardous. Hopefully, uh, everyone was able to you know, safely get here and uh, we'll be able to safely get home as well. Uh, we are two weeks away from WinterCon, as mentioned by Christine a little while ago. Uh, WinterCon, born of God, is the theme of WinterCon. Um, there's going to be no service at North Rocks uh, that Sunday. So if you aren't able to make it to WinterCon, uh, please don't show up to physical service here because you'll be sitting by yourself or alongside other people who might have forgotten. Um, we will be streaming on that Sunday, though, um, so perhaps you can watch it from home or with uh, whoever is unable to make it as well. And if you haven't already and you're on the fence, uh, please do register for WinterCon because um, we still do have a little bit of space left. Now, as mentioned, we're almost at the end of our series, our sermon series titled, I Promise, uh, where we found the answer to the question, whose responsibility is it to make and keep the promises of baptism? And we've discovered that it is God's. It's God's responsibility to make and keep the promises of baptism. So next week will be our final sermon in the series uh, before WinterCon and then beyond then. Uh, with this in mind, baptism and confirmation registrations have opened um, as of today. And so if you do check out our link tree a little bit later on, uh, you can find the form. Um, if, you've, you know, if you're interested in baptism or confirmation, you can check that out on our link tree page. Now here's where we've been in our sermon series thus far. And so we've looked at through the various weeks, uh, the unity of the covenant of grace in circumcision and baptism. Uh, we've looked at in week two how the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us through the sacraments. Um, and in week three, we should baptize and be baptized because of the example, the promises, and the command of God. Uh, week four is the one that kind of tied it all together and made sense of all the other weeks, uh, including today. Um, baptism is about what God has done, not what we're qualified to do. And last week, we looked at how community is essential. Um, in baptism, so the importance of community in baptism. Uh, with that in mind, we are gonna be talking a little bit more about uh, an expansion of that uh, past week about community. And if you've missed any of these sermons or you're just unsure um, about what any of these things mean, perhaps go back and review them on uh, our YouTube page or website. Um, how about I pray for us and then we'll get straight into the word though. Uh, Father, what blessed assurance it is that we can look to you and rather than to uh, the strength of our good works or the strength of our hearts for our salvation, God. If we were to look at our hearts or if we were to look at the, the outworkings of our faith, surely we would find that we would fall apart very quickly and that we would be very discouraged indeed. But the fact that we can look to you, the fact that we can look to your son, the obedient one, the one that fulfills all of the commandments, the one that is God above all. It gives us blessed assurance and reminds us, Lord, that we are held securely in you, God. We pray in faith, recognizing, Lord, that you have done this great work through your son. And we pray knowing, Lord, that he has taken care of us, past, present, and future. And so it's him that we place all of our faith upon, God. It's him that we place our faith upon this morning as well, God, and we pray in the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that you would uh, illuminate the word to us and help us, Lord, to understand what it is that you're speaking to us as a church and as individuals. Would you change us from the inside out, God? Not just for us individually in our hearts, 
but for all of us here at New Life as one body. Would you be the heartbeat that keeps us going in this body? Would you be the head that leads us? Help us, Lord, to be changed and transformed by you. Guide us by your word and help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If we could get a bit of a show of hands, and I know like this is one of these things where if uh, a certain preachers ask for a show of hands, sometimes no one raises their hands, you know, for whatever reason, but I promise it's not like a gotcha question or anything. Um, who's been at church, new life or otherwise, since childhood? You know, so since before the age of eight. Yeah, a lot of you guys. Okay, another question, you know, if you currently have children, or if you hope to have children in the future, how many of you plan on teaching them about faith in Christ? So just by a show of hands. Yeah, most of you guys, yeah. So these are perhaps things that we don't really think about though, um, until we're actually in the middle of raising our little rugrats, our little children. You know, like we suddenly have these little people in our household and then we think, hey, maybe I should teach them a thing or two about faith. You know, maybe this is something that's really important. But what's our expectation if we don't begin to think about such questions now? You know, for our parents, it's too late for us. You know, we're already in the middle of it. But for those that don't have children yet, you know, what's our expectation if we're not actually thinking about these things already? The reality of the matter is that children do not grow into faith by accident. Children do not grow into faith by accident. We take, for example, an active and an engaged approach to the education of our children when it comes to the school that they attend or how much they study. You know, we think about these things. I'm sure many of you have been through coaching colleges and tutoring and all sorts of stuff where you just had to go through all this stuff. Like, all of your friends are out you know, doing other stuff, extracurricular activities, playing, whatever, and you just have to study until you fall asleep. You feel like you're in Korea, you know? For those that don't have children, perhaps in high school, we took an interest in certain subjects, and we knew that this was guided towards our future. You know, we, as we took an interest in certain topics, we knew that in the future, this might actually have some bearing on our lives. We might actually end up studying these things in further education. It might end up being uh, some of the work that we do in the future. And if you didn't, I mean, if you didn't, maybe you ended up like me, you know, and just meandered your way through university in some subject that didn't really have any bearing on your life until later. And then you find yourself somewhere else. But nurturing children into the things that we believe is no different from this kind of approach to education. And when we think about this, spiritual transformation, you know, we kind of think of it in a vacuum. Like we think that it's just gonna happen one day. But spiritual transformation often finds its foundations in the care that we take as a church family towards our children. You know, as many of you have been to church since you were a child, this created some sort of a foundation for the things that you believe in. These are the things that solidified some of the things that you actually believe in. Our passage today in Deuteronomy 11, if you'll read along with me. Imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands and let them be a symbol on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates so that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. 
If you take note in this passage, you can see that teaching the future generations is a very normal and expected part of daily living. It's expected. It's expected by the Lord of his people that as you go through life, you will teach your children. You will disciple your children in the ways of faith as part of life together. And doing these things results in the promises of blessing being presented to their children and their children's children as well with the hope that these promises find their fulfillment in God for years to come. Keep in mind, as we said in previous weeks, this is the promise being presented to them. This doesn't mean that by their teaching or by our teaching, those that hear are automatically saved. Okay, we see that even in you know, principle with Tezun Church when it comes to FG, PG, you know, all these different areas where the preaching of the word goes out, even here within New Life, where the preaching of the word goes out every single week, but not everyone who hears is saved. Not everyone who hears takes up the promises of God. But our hope is in the God who shows covenant love to the thousandth generation, scripture tells us, that he would extend his grace and mercy to our future generations. And this is why we take such a special interest in nurturing children into what we believe. Faith in God means knowing his promises and knowing that he's not only the source of the promises, but the one who's faithful to keep these promises as well. And if we know this to be true, then certainly we must testify to this truth every day of our lives, teaching the gospel of grace to those nearest to our hearts. Like this flows from who we are in Christ. When we know God's love, Teaching our children these things, transforming our culture, simply just makes sense. We find in this passage this requirement for a total commitment of heart and mind, basically devoting your entire being. I'm sure you've heard this passage before. And so telling others about God's covenant love and promises is not a question of obligation or a goal that we tend towards as we grow in our faith. It's not about these things. It's more of an, of course, like when you're that given over in love to someone or something, of course you're gonna talk about it. Of course you're gonna tell other people about it. When you're that given over in love to God, of course you're gonna tell your children, you're gonna tell your friends and family about this God as well. And in this love and devotion is this resolve to remember these things as well. And that's what we find in this passage. In this passage, we see that the, the Lord is instructing the people to take these words and attach them as symbols to their hands and their foreheads. Like, can you imagine like, you're walking around with these things tied to your hands and your foreheads? For in, in seeing these things, they'll always remember these things as well. You can't ignore them anymore. It's not a Bible that we just put in a drawer somewhere but it's something that just stares out at us as we look in the mirror. And alongside this, we see as well, their children are to be taught in ways that are unforgettable. Here's the reason why we take part, why we participate in sacraments together as one body, the church. Whether we're old and graying, or whether we're still trying to figure ourselves out at the end of our teenage years and perhaps into our 30s as well, whether infants and children, 
We take part in the sacraments in order to remember, to be nourished, and to have hope for the future. Try to think back with me to your high school years or your middle school years or whatever it might have been, okay? Try to think back with me to the lessons that you still remember clearly today. For me, the things that stand out most in my memory are not the things that were learned through rote memorization. It's not the lectures that I spent hours listening to. Often it's the things that I participated in. It's the things that teachers and professors forced me to participate in. The practical things that made things crystallize. Theory became reality to me. You know, I don't know if we do this in Australia. Like, I can still remember the smell of formaldehyde as I dissected my first frog. Do we do this in Australia? Yeah? Okay, we do. Yeah. I don't feel alone. All right. Otherwise, think with me about maybe a spiritual matter. Like Christine, when she prayed uh, to start our service this morning, she prayed from Psalm 103. And the only reason I know this, regardless of however many times I read through that psalm, is because of a song that I heard that used Psalm 103. And I participated in it, singing along in the car, wherever it might have been, and it becomes imprinted in my memory. And so the moment that she starts, you know, you remember that we're only dust. Suddenly I remember Psalm 103. These are the things that crystallize in our memories. So here's the charge to the parents of new life. Okay, there's a number of parents here. Teach your children about Jesus and why you love him. It's so straightforward. Have them participate in your faith and live out your faith with them. What you teach them will come out one way or the other, explicitly or implicitly. If they see that your focus is more on money or comfort or education, the way that you live, or some other idol, these things pass on to future generations. Perhaps you've seen it within your families as well. However, if they see that your faith lives out in action in your daily lives, it'll speak volumes more than just telling them about why you like going to church only to chase after worldly things from Monday to Saturday. Theologian Scott McKnight, he says, to baptize an infant apart from family spiritual formation and apart from a church that nurtures and educates its youth into spiritual maturity violates what baptism means. What we take part in, in the baptism of our infants and children, is far more than just the ceremony itself. I know sometimes we feel like the ceremony is the goal. Like when you sign up for baptism, it feels like standing up here, getting a bunch of water sprinkled on your face is the goal. But no, it's the taking on of responsibility that we talked about last week. It's a recognition of the covenant that we, we ourselves are a part of as well. Whether or not we're the ones being baptized on stage in that moment. And it's a hope in God who keeps the promises of baptism. So for us to step into baptizing our children and our infants without taking care for the spiritual formation of our families or a commitment to the church that we're a part of, and this goes against everything that we've, we've been talking about this entire series. Might as well not get baptized then. Now, this, though this charge is for the families, 
we'd be crazy to think that it doesn't say anything to the rest of us here at New Life. Whether or not you have children, whether or not you're married, whether or not you're you know, forever single, whatever it might be, we talked about the importance of community at baptism last week, remember? We talked about this. The majority of our congregation here is young and single. I don't know if you've noticed this when you look around. It's very obvious, very young and single. But youth doesn't exist in a vacuum either. It's pointed somewhere. It ends at a certain point. Some of you guys believe that your youth has ended and you're like 23. It hasn't ended yet, but it will come. Believe me, it will come. Rainy days like this will be slightly more painful for some reason, and I don't know why. You're headed hopefully towards maturity though, together. And we need to all put thought into where we're headed together as well. You might have decided at the start of our conversation this morning, at the start of our sermon this morning, as we started talking about children, that this message wasn't for you. You might have felt that. You might have thought, oh, it's a children message. Okay, I've got 10 more years. I'll listen in 10 more years. Who knows if YouTube will even be around then, right? You might think, I'll start to consider it when I get married, when I start thinking about having children, or when these children have grown up to a certain age. But look around you. Look around at our congregation. This church has been around for 20 years. But our median age remains the same. We are the fountain of youth here at New Life, except that not everyone sticks around. We only have a small group of older members. If you're one of these guys, I honor you. We also have a very small group of families that are here with us. I honor you as well. But why is this the case? If we wait for the time when the majority of our congregation is married with children to begin to preach these messages, to begin to think about these things and consider our children, it'll always be too late. We'll always be a youthful church, except many of you won't be around to enjoy it. We talked about this in our vision series at the start of this year, A Better Life is Waiting. We want for a new life to be headed to this place where discipleship and families become a part of the cultural norm here at New Life. This isn't just for the benefit of the families that are already here, the families with children. In fact, the families with children most likely won't get the most benefit from these things because they're the ones trailblazing. It's hard. And yet they'll get a great benefit as they get to see the fruit of their works. It's for all of us though. The benefit is for all of us that we can all be headed somewhere together. The church and the families of the children of the church are meant to be drawn into raising these children with Christ. It should become a little bit easier to raise these children with Christ among us. Grace renewal is meant to shape the way that we do discipleship, the way that we care for our families here at New Life. And in this, we create a new culture alongside God in what he's already doing where families can thrive rather than looking for a new place to belong. Where we can love the children, where we can preach the gospel, where we can live out grace. So here's a charge to our whole church, to everyone sitting here. 
young and old, whatever marital status you're in, whatever relationship status you're in, let's together commit to nurture our children in spiritual formation. As we commit to praying for this, as we seek to foster that type of culture, we're gonna see our church get transformed. The communal aspect of declaring your identity in baptism means very little if we aren't able to actually be banded together as a community. If we don't have unity as one body, what's the point in announcing who we are? If there's no unity, if the individuals in our community have no care for those who have their identities in Christ declared, is there even any point in baptizing to initiate into this community? I would say no. So let's take responsibly for one another and for one another's families. A reminder once again that what's conveyed to an infant in baptism is a sign of God's promise. This promise to give that child the benefits of the person and work of Christ when the child comes to faith. Just because we baptize a child doesn't mean that this person becomes a saint or becomes, I don't know what we might be thinking. Baptism is a sign of the covenant, which is, what, which is that God promises salvation to all who believe. It's not a transfer of faith. It doesn't give the benefits of faith. However, the sign does convey symbolically the promise of God to all who believe and the responsibility that God takes for keeping these promises as well. So this baptism is a reminder that it's about what Jesus has done, not what we're qualified to do. So even as we participate, we're reminded to look to the grace of the Son of God, which is as sufficient for our children, for our whole congregation, as it was to us. Now in talking about this, we need to talk about another sacrament. We need to talk about the other sacrament. Sometimes, questions arise about whether or not children can take the communion. In short, yes, your children can take communion. Children are allowed to take it because there's no biblical basis for keeping children from taking the communion. In fact, taking the communion presents a great opportunity for you as parents to explain the meaning of communion to your children. A great teaching moment presents itself every month. It's one of the cultural goals that we have at church. Now, if you are worried about this, about children taking communion, ask yourself these questions. What makes this such a special practice that certain people should be kept from participating when we talk about the free grace of God? Should children be kept from participating in other spiritual acts then? Should they be kept from singing praise? Should they be kept from reading the Bible? Should they be kept from giving money? If the communion creates an unforgettable image of remembering Christ as they participate together and is used to help teach our children and future generations, why shouldn't they participate? That's the question. However, if in your individual conviction you still find yourself unsure, that's okay too. There's still great opportunity for you to take up a little bit of study about this topic and to go through it with your family and we can discuss these things and we can still walk together as brothers and sisters. With that in mind, as the Lord Jesus instituted, so we also carry out today the communion.
that we might see and participate in the gospel of grace together, proclaiming the Lord's death until his return. And may it be that this creates a lasting image in all of our minds, not just our children. God's forgiveness is available to all who recognize their need for his grace. We're sinners saved by grace. And in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, this grace is made available to us. The sacraments are visible signs and they're seals that we're bound together as a community of faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we participate in together in the communion is a sign in that it symbolizes the salvation, the forgiveness, and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the relationship that we now have with our Lord Jesus. And it's a seal as well that this communion brings these blessings to us in a special way as the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us. So what is the communion? The communion is first an act of remembrance as we look into the past to see what Jesus has done. And this reminds us to live gratefully. The communion is also a declaration of our continued dependence. As the present day reality is, that just as God's grace was what we needed for our salvation, we still need his grace today for a life of holiness. And so we receive the body and the blood of Jesus as a seal of that grace upon us. The communion is also a glimpse into the future. Together we participate in a slice of that future, that day that we hope in, the marriage supper of Jesus and the church at our Lord's glorious return, when seeing will truly be believing as faith has made sight. Now here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month, which is today. I hear the reading of scripture from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I need to make mention at this point, if you've been with us for a little while here at New Life, at this point of the communion, often we turn and we talk about the next couple of verses that come after this passage. And they talk about self-examination, about eating and drinking without recognizing the body and doing so unworthily about not taking the communion under church discipline. However, this represents an important evolution of thought and an important evolution of theology that we need to walk through together. As we've continued in our study of baptism, and particularly in studying the sacraments and communion, it seems that these verses and the statements that followed often resulted in a bit of an unwanted thing in our congregation, where well-meaning Christ followers didn't feel worthy to come forward to take the communion if they found some spot of sin inside of them, and that's not what we want. These verses that come afterwards, we're talking specifically about those in the Corinthian church that ate of the communion gluttonously. They came and ate as though it was a buffet table, leaving nothing behind for anyone that came after them to take of the communion. There was nothing left except crumbs. It was not about those who struggled in their battle against sin. If we wait until we feel that we're worthy enough to take communion, we'll be waiting forever. Just as in the baptism. 
We're only made worthy through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who bears our sins. And so we come to the table under his righteousness, not under our own. So you have to place your own feelings of unworthiness against this to approach the communion table against Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice and the worthiness and the righteousness that he gives to you. So the communion is a nourishment to us as well. All of us who are unworthy, we're able to take time to pray, to reflect and examine ourselves, but most of all, to look to God, to confess and repent before him because he's the one that gives us our righteousness and our new identity in him. And so the communion is a great opportunity for us to welcome those as well who have not yet believed to now place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as well. If that's you, we ask that you trust in Jesus for your salvation, that you also join us in coming forward to take the communion, and then you make yourself known to us at the conclusion of the service. I'm gonna invite New Life's ministry directors up to the front of each aisle, and we'll also have one who's attending to the volunteers on stage in a moment, in the multimedia room, children's ministry, and also the parents in the parents' room. We're gonna have a gluten-free station, and that's very clearly labeled on the left there, uh, closest station to the parents' room. Because these are limited in number, uh, we ask that you reserve them for those with allergy and dietary needs first. But after your time of reflection, please do come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion, then take it back to your seats and wait until everyone's been served so that we can take it together. <laughs>